This is Well, Women Embracing Later Life. I am your host, Angela Seaborn. This podcast is for women in mid to later years who want to live joyfully and actualize their full potential, regardless of where you are emotionally, be it in top form or perhaps you're going through a difficult time. This podcast is for you. This is a woman's time to shine. You are at the age where life's experiences have set the stage for you to thrive. After all, we've made it this far. In my show, you will learn strategies and techniques that I bring from my life's work as well as years of clinical practice. Because even financial gains can feel like a burden without happiness. By creating and sustaining joy on the inside, everything on the outside of our life changes. Hi, this is Angela Seaborn the host and creator of Well. This is my very first podcast, so please be patient while I learn the ropes. And if there are audio discrepancies and technical issues, as there will be, please be mindful that this is new for me and it will get better. This is part one of three parts. Episode number one, challenging aging stereotypes with research. Today is a great day to start the rest of your life. Before we can talk about living joyfully or actualizing our full potential, we need to start with a clean slate, a tabula rasa, so to speak. So we first need to address common stereotypes about aging, look into the research to see if there is any validity to these stereotypes. Because if we're holding on to ageist beliefs, they could be interfering with our ability or inability to thrive or experience joy in mid to later years. In my podcast, you will hear a lot of information. So remember, just take what speaks to you and leave the rest behind. In part one of this episode, I will first share the definition of an age stereotype, then identify common stereotypes of aging and look into the research to see who is behind these stereotypes, like who is perpetuating these ageist stereotypes. In part two, I will show how film and media often place women who are in mid to later years into binary categories when it comes to sexuality. They are often shown as hypersexual or sex-starved, predatory-like, or the polar opposite, void of any sexuality whatsoever and seen as boring and often homely. And lastly, in part three, we shall dig a little deeper to see if age stereotypes play a role in age discrimination. And do our beliefs have an effect on the aging process itself? What does neuroscience say about that? Are you ready? Let's go. So what exactly are we describing when we talk about stereotypes in the context of aging? While writing this episode and search for a good definition of what an age stereotype is, I came across this one by a Riley A. Dionigi, and I think she sums it up quite nicely. Before I read it to you, I just want to let you know that any research mentioned on this podcast, I will put in the show notes below. In her paper, Riley A. Dionigi writes, Stereotypes 
are unchallenged myths or overstated beliefs associated with a category which are widespread and entrenched in verbal, written, and visual context within society. Stereotypes of aging include assumptions and generalizations about how people at or over a certain age should behave and what they are likely to experience without regards for individual differences or unique circumstances. To summarize, aging stereotypes are widespread, exaggerated beliefs, generalized, a one-size-fits-all kind of deal, regardless of individual differences like health status, culture, or even physical abilities. I don't like this. I don't think you do either. In the West, aging is synonymous with beliefs such as a loss of physical attractiveness, cognitive decline such as forgetfulness, mental and physical deterioration, weight gain, negative mood, that older people are less concerned with worldly affairs and more concerned with grandchildren and family, and they have a dislike for travel, the list goes on. And in the workplace, they're more often seen as a liability rather than a productive contributor. You've heard it before, they're stuck in their ways or you can't teach an old dog a new trick kind of thing. And you know, when it comes to entry-level positions, older people are usually the first to be let go when a company downsizes. Are you sitting down? Coming up next, we're gonna find out who is behind these stereotypes. Who's responsible for perpetuating them? I think you'll be surprised to hear that it's not the youth who are behind the perpetuation of these stereotypes. No, so we cannot blame them. But it is us. Yes, us folk in mid to later years are using stereotypes about age on ourselves and others. Hello, can you say counterintuitive? All right, moving on. I wanna talk about another study by a Dana Kottergrun and Thomas Hess. They followed a large group of men and women, I think 183, and these participants were from the ages of 18 to 90. This research is significant in that it was a longitudinal study and they followed these people over a lifetime. And so here's part of their findings. I'm just going to quote from the article right now. Among other significant findings, the data indicate that middle-aged adults 40 to 59 have the most negative bias in the psychological and social domains and the least negative bias in the physical domains compared with older participants. Both middle-aged and old, older adults, have the most negative aging biases. There you have it again. We can't blame it on the youth. Okay, let's break this down into plain language. Here's my short and skinny version, and I don't know why I'm whispering. When referring to psychological domains, they're talking about a set of beliefs that are internalized from a very young age, like a schema. A schema is a set of patterns of thoughts and behavior that organizes a mental structure of something. For example, let's say as a young child, you notice that your grandparents have wrinkly skin and they can't hear very well. No one has to tell you that this is due to age. You see your grandparents, you see their skin, their lack of hearing, 
and these collective associations form a schema or are added to an existing schema, creating a fuller understanding or fuller picture of what the schema represents. And in this case, it would represent a grandparent. And as you can imagine, our schemas would vary greatly depending on our subjective experiences growing up. So what is this research paper talking about when they say social domains in regards to ageist beliefs? What they are referring to is any institution that has the ability to affect one's thoughts and behaviors, which often result in a set of social norms. And as you can imagine, there are many, like political systems such as government, anything in the legal systems such as the courts, police, prisons, religious or spiritual organizations, academia or educational institutions, social clubs, private members clubs, and much more. And as a society, we have several social norms. One is raising your hand to speak. I'm not sure where that one originated from, but it would make sense to say something like the 1800s in a classroom setting in order to keep order. However, it's been passed down from generation to generation, and it's something that we still practice today. Or an age-related social norm like offering your seat to an elderly person or a pregnant woman. This could have originated from a moral institution such as a church or perhaps even a medical institution. So there you have it. Hopefully now you have a better understanding of what it means to have an ageist belief or any belief for that matter in the social domain or the psychological domain. Oh, I like this audience. However, our beliefs are affected by both the psychological and the social domains because we do not exist in a vacuum. After all, people influence social institutions as the social institutions influence people and shape one another in the process. Geez, did you get all that? In a very simplified example, let's say I grew up in a household where the common belief was if you're not successful in your mid-50s, then you will never be successful. And let's say as an adult, I become a highly ambitious entrepreneur. And subsequently, I would naturally be attracted to political and social institutions that support and validate my beliefs. This is not all a conscious process. It's an unconscious process mainly. And we do this not because it's a logical thing to do, but because it feels familiar. And through the lens of evolution, what is familiar is safe. And this is due to the human brain evolving during the hunter and gatherer era, which by the way, represents 99.8% of our time on this planet. In explanation, as a cave woman, I would not invite anyone back to my cave that I was not familiar with for the risk of being murdered over a chicken leg or being brutally raped would be much too high. So it's easy to see how and why the brain equates what is familiar with safety. In summary, our early beliefs are hardwired in our brains and for the most part are unconscious. 
when we feel connected to something or someone, it's usually manifesting as a feeling. And in this example, it's a feeling of familiarity, which is really a feeling of safety and comfort. This is wonderful when your early priming sets you up so that it is beneficial when you're older. However, that's not how real life works. Sometimes our early priming can set us up for failure, as I will point out getting back to my example here. As I said, in my adult life, I become an entrepreneur, I'm highly motivated. However, for a variety of reasons, mid-50s comes along and I am not successful. How do you think I will feel? Well, probably not very good. So this is an example where my early priming has not benefited me in regards to my belief around age and success anyway. Then there are people such as Martha Stewart, Patricia Field, who's a New York fashion designer, Betsy Johnson, who is also a fashion designer, Dame Judi Dench, famous Hollywood actress. What all of these women have in common is their success all happened after age 50. And I will put money on it that these women do not hold any age-limiting beliefs around success. Okay, now we've come full circle back to the study by Dina Kotzer-Gruen and Thomas M. Hess. As mentioned earlier, in summary, they found between the ages of 40 to 59, we tend to hold more negative beliefs psychologically and socially. And it's not until our 60s and 70s, according to this research anyway, that we begin to focus on the physicalities of aging. And this begs the question, is this due to a natural process where after years of using our bodies, it begins to break down, wear and tear? Or is this just an ageist bias that I'm bringing to the table right now? Or maybe, perhaps this is the age where we start to buy into the belief. So if we buy into the beliefs, we start to believe it and therefore manifest it. Regardless of the reason behind that, it would make sense that if we are having aches and pains, that we would start to focus on the physical. To me, regardless of age, if you have a lot of physical problems, then you would be focused on those because you would be constantly reminded of that on a daily basis or a moment to moment basis. I can think of a few people off the top of my head in their 60s and 70s who are perfectly healthy, very healthy, and this research does not reflect them at all. This reminds me, we have to be careful not to paint everyone with the same brush. Research is very important. However, it's not gospel, so to speak. Wow, we are running out of time. So I have to wrap this up. Okay, in concluding episode one, part one, We've identified common stereotypes about aging. We've discovered who's behind these stereotypes, who's perpetuating these ageist stereotypes. And lastly, we looked into a longitudinal study that showed how our ageist beliefs change over time. 
thank you to each and every one of you for listening to this podcast today. If you like what you heard, please click like in SoundCloud or give it a five-star review from whatever platform you're listening to today. Your support is needed and I greatly appreciate it and it really does help. I would like to thank all my friends and family who have supported me in making this podcast come true, especially a good friend, Yvonne, who has been there every single step of the way for me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My name is Angela Seaborn, and until we meet again, be well.